0: Hey, happy new year from me, your host, Adira. And welcome to a brand new year of Then God Moved. I have some awesome episodes in the works for this year, including this first episode featuring death row exoneree Derek Jameson. I'll let him tell you the whole story himself, but I just wanted to drop a quick note at the top to share my gratitude for his participation. Derek's story is not an easy one to tell, but he shares it with both honesty and conviction. As you can unfortunately hear, there were a couple audio issues during recording, but I hope you'll bear with us as you really, truly have to hear this. With that said, let's get into it.
1: I, I was sent to die October the 25th of 1985, the worst day of my life. I walked off Ohio death row October 25th, 2005, exactly the same day, 20 years later. The worst day of my life became the best day of my life.
0: I'm Adira Polite, and this is Then God Moved.
1: Oh, man.
0: Oh, I can hear you again now. okay. Nice. How you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you? I'm hanging in there, you know. Been busy doing this abolition work here in Ohio. We're in the down here in Ohio, you know.
0: Amen. Amen. So I've been,
1: I've been a big part of that. The last execution was like uh, a young man named Robert Van Hook. He was my celly in County Jail in Hamilton County. Uh, He was the last person to be executed. And you know, in the state of Ohio, we didn't have 56 executions since 1999, you know. -hmm. And I was there. I watched some guys grow up on death row, you know. And I got there with nothing but a bunch of kids there.
0: Mm -hmm. And by
1: me being an older man, they was a bunch of babies there, you know.
0: Like, how old were they?
1: Uh, like, uh, Danny with Danny Hill next door to me, he was eighteen. He had just what? turned eighteen. Eighteen. And, and Richard Coy, he lived, He was on the other side of me. He was. He had just turned eighteen too. He was ready to turn nineteen though.
0: Oh my god. And he
1: he had just came home from the military and called double homicide in Akron, Ohio, and he mm. got the death dump. Mm. yeah but they was kids man and they were just babies
0: that's wild because the way that people often think about the death penalty is you know we gotta have it around because of the worst of the worst we think we're executing the worst and it's a very different story it's a bunch of young black men i'm assuming is what you saw at least in Ohio. yeah
1: yeah in ohio mostly mostly yeah even though hispanic people that was executed that i know you know a lot of minorities you know
0: well we'll get into all of that yeah so can you tell me can you tell me a little bit about your childhood so you grew up in cincinnati right?
1: yeah i grew up in cincinnati and uh that's why i was sent to the diet in cincinnati hamilton county courtroom you know it was amazing life growing up in cincinnati you know
0: mm-hmm. so yeah. you were born what in like the late 60s i'm trying to do the math late 60s i was that?
1: born in 61 i'll be 63 years old i uh, January the 31st next month january the 31st i will be 63 years old
0: okay happy birthday yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right so you're growing up 70s 80s you saw all of that in cincinnati what yeah. led up to you being arrested for this Well, can you walk me through actually that whole story? Because there are multiple charges. There's a whole interesting mess with someone who was arrested for sexual assault and was then tied to another crime and said that you helped them with that crime. So can you walk me through all of that?
1: He lied. First of all, the guy that said that I was with him, he was lying because I couldn't have been with him. I was with five other people. I mean, the day this crime happened, when he said I was with him, I was with five of my friends. And it was a domestic dispute next door. And the police was standing right in front of me because they came for this domestic dispute. And me and my friends, we was over at my girlfriend's house. We all of us was outside. We all still had our pajamas and stuff on. Mm-hmm. So the police was standing right here at the time this crime was happening. But to make a uh, long story short, the homicide detectives and prosecutors withheld 35 pieces of evidence in my case. And they admitted to it too, so you know
0: they admitted to tampering with they, evidence.
1: They, they had to. They it was. They got caught. The the judge, the federal judge, saw what they did, and they admit they they were pointing the finger at one another while I was with the death mm-hmm. penalty. You know, because they make mistakes. That's why I'm saying, you know, with the death penalty, we make mistakes. You know, you can make mistakes. You know, and a lot of a lot of people on death row are innocent but they can't afford to fight there they can't afford to fight back because they're poor you know a lot of people who died because they were poor black whites and hispanic they couldn't afford to defend themselves. and of course the cause the court got millions to spend on their cases but you ain't got no money you broke you poor what you gonna do and then you're going up against the best prosecutor in that county so you can't win you know and, uh, they called me the miracle by what happened to me, you know? A lot of guys, they was innocent, but they, they couldn't do nothing about what they were going through, how they were poor.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they have court-appointed attorneys, right? Who are- yeah, you know, and that's who I went,
1: that's who I had. My my public My public pretenders had to go up against the top prosecutor in the country, damn near, in the state, because they called my prosecutor For all the high profile cases that happened in Ohio. No? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So let me break down some of what happened leading up to the trial. So it was August 1st, 1984. This all starts. There's a bartender who's beaten to death during a robbery in Cincinnati. And then there are witnesses who describe two of the guys who they believe did this. No one's arrested. A few months later, October 12th, same year, 1984. You're arrested for a robbery at a restaurant, is that right? Yeah, Gold Star, yeah. Okay, okay. And so they, when they arrest you, the police say that you fit the description of one of those robbers, but they don't charge you. And then January of the next year, police arrest a man named Charles Howell on charges of sexual assault. And while he's in custody, he says that he was an accomplice in that first robbery at that bar. Well, not only robbery, robbery and murder, right? And he identifies you as a primary killer. So he says, you know, which it's pretty obvious why he did this. He says, yeah, okay, I was an accomplice, but here's the guy who really was the ringleader. He agrees to testify against you in exchange for a lesser sentence. Happens all the time. So then you're indicted for murder. That's how we end up with you having these sorts of charges. So you're indicted for murder, March, 1985, and they built yes. their whole case, the prosecution that you're talking about, you know, these high-level, like, celebrity prosecutors, almost? Like, these high-profile... Yeah, high-profile
1: yeah, high profile high profile prosecutors, yeah.
0: They build their case against you around this man's testimony and a shoe print from the top of the bar. So there's a print from some sort of gym shoe that you were wearing that had a similar sole pattern, right? So they right. build their case around, well, he has these shoes that are similar and this man says that he was the one who helped, And so you're found guilty in 1985, sentenced to death. Do you have any idea? I'm just curious what your perspective is on this. Like why do they seek death in this case? Cause. Uh,
1: this was 1984. remember when this time crime happened? It when stuff like that just didn't happen in our city, you know? We was laid back Cincinnati, you know, conservative. The thing I love about this case is that they had a bunch of witnesses that saw these two individuals leaving the bar, the nightclub. And they said, both of them, all the witnesses said that they was from 5'1 to 5'3. Sweetheart, I'm 6'5, I ain't never been five foot And I always had this low black hair, you know? Like when I got sent to die, I'm the only person in America. I was on the front page of the Cincinnati Inquirer with this big, ass, the big old Michael Jackson afro. And over the top of my picture, it had railroaded. They knew that they it had to job on me and I had been railroaded. Because all of these witnesses, they couldn't lie. It didn't. He had family. The victim had family members that saw the guy that came out of the club. They would sit right in front of the club of the car, two of his family members, saw the guys that did this. Mm-hmm. And they ain't never seen me before in their life. They told the prosecutor, I mean, the police that, that they had never, been there. I wasn't the one. But they still went on ahead with this, you know.
0: They had to get somebody, right? Is that kind right? of...
1: Right, yeah, they had, yeah, because it was a real high-profile case, who it was, and then it's an honor, bar honor, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was
0: Gary Mitchell the victim in this case was he a white man?
1: Yeah, yeah, he he was a white guy. Yeah, Gary Mitchell, he was like the 24-year-old young man.
0: Right. So, I've done a few years of death penalty work. I was doing death penalty appeals for 2 years after college, and it's just something I've read a lot about and it's very clear that a profile like that, like a 24-year-old white man is often the type of victim that will be avenged by death. The court will often seek the death penalty when a victim is white, especially a younger white person. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And everybody on my jury, after they had found out all this new evidence, the 35 pieces of evidence that the prosecutors and homicide technically held, everybody on their jury said they would have heard any of that evidence. They wouldn't have never indicted. I wouldn't have never been charged. My sweetheart, I went through six days of execution because I was poor. I was Are you saying six on...
0: stayed? Are you saying six stayed?
1: Yeah, they gave me, I had six days of executions while I was on Ohio death row. They came and killed me six times, sweetheart. Hmm. They asked me where I want my body sent, you know, what did I want for my last meal, six times.
0: So six times you had a scheduled yeah. execution and then there was a stay. Was that yeah. stay because of doubt about your uh, area?
1: Yeah, was- yeah, new, new, yeah, new evidence found and... I remember I was on death row one time and uh, Betty Montgomery, she's the state attorney. She gave a a, 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 media, interview a inter- media interview and she said, a news and a media interview, and she said, Derek Jamison should be released to death row as soon as possible. And I was sitting on death row and the whole penitentiary went crazy. And all these guards was at my door, like, boy, you better, they better go to get you up out of here. And she was saying that Derek Jameson should be released as soon as possible. He's innocent on death row. He shouldn't have never been convicted.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: And I was still locked up at the time. You know, I hadn't even got a new trial yet or not.
0: How many years did you spend on death row? I know it was around 20.
1: Yeah, exactly 20. I got sent to die October the 25th of 1985. I came home. October the 25th of 2005.
0: Ah, exactly. No two,
1: the worst day of my life became the best day of my life. The same day I was sent to die, the worst day of my life also became the best day of my life. Ain't that something?
0: Do you attribute that to God?
1: I got to. God put his arms around me. And it was a thing. This mom, this was my mom she used to always tell me. She used to say, baby, when time's get hard, she'd say, when, Things get rough, pray. And that's what I did. I did a lot of praying, you know. I did a lot of praying, and I was always into the church, you know. I went to Catholic school, you know, yeah.
0: Exactly 20 years, which, of course, to me, as soon as you said that, I got chills. Like, you can see me. I'm sitting in the sun right now. Yeah. I got chills hearing that because yeah. that's nothing but the Lord. Yeah, that, God the around me. Yes. Around and, around and that people. redemption that redemption that it's the, like the, as you said the worst day of your life and god redeemed yeah. it and used that same date to become a day of celebration that's mm. really powerful but still yeah. you were you were there for 20 years and you had good friends with you on death row who you saw executed what was that like like what was it like on those days when friends were executed it
1: was it was, it was horrible We heart you know could you imagine Everybody you knew, everybody I knew, all my best friends, I had to watch them die. I took care of all them guys. You know, that's why God put his arms around me, cause them guys went to their grave knowing that I loved them and I was out here fighting for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Even after I got off, I turned into this speaker. I speak all over the world, speak out against the devil. But it was horrible watching your friends perish like that, you know? You know, they. So I like most of them was teenagers, and in the early twenties when I met them. You know, and I watched them grow up to be healthy young men and taken out of their cell and mm-hmm. executed. You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of them was innocent because, like I said, a lot of people died because they were poor. You know.
0: Yeah. You know, now we have lethal injection as the main means of execution. When you were there. What methods of execution were used?
1: All three uh, still used in America, the uh, lethal injection, firing squad. Uh, uh, in Utah, they still use the firing squad because in 2010, uh, my best friend, Randy Gardner, his little brother, Ronnie, we was the same age. born. His, 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 birth, his birthday, like a week before mine, but he was executed in Utah by the firing squad. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm just saying, it's, it's 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 all different kind of methods. But now they basically use lethal injection. But the electric chair was used a
0: lot while I was on death row. That mm-hmm. uh, so was college. the electric chair. It was lethal injection, the electric chair, and the firing. Yeah. squad. Yeah. Okay. And the
1: firing squad they was real popular. Yeah. You
0: know? Would you have gotten a choice? Is that how that would have worked?
1: No, they uh like I was sent to die in the electric chair. But I think in 96, they changed how death poly to lethal injection.
0: Okay, okay.
1: So, um, yeah, because all 56 of my friends, all 56 of the guys that was on death row with, most of them was on death row with, they they died through lethal
0: injection. Okay, wow. Yeah. Just, you know, day in, day out, on death row, how were you able to, you know, you were alive physically, but how were you able to keep your spirit alive? I would think that many people would just enter depression. You know, you're waiting to die. But how did you continue to live while you were there?
1: Uh, Well, I never lost my faith, and I always prayed. Like my mom told me, she said, baby, when things get rough, times get hard, pray. And I did a lot of praying. Uh, A lot of people, like you said, a lot of of them guys, i watched guys go crazy right in front of me because I know they couldn't take it. Uh, I was blessed. Like I told you, God put his arms around me. You're looking at the miracle for real, you know?
0: That's powerful. You're looking
1: at a miracle for real.
0: So you talk about yourself as a miracle, but you've also talked about the process of being exonerated as a miracle. So how on earth did that happen? You know, people, I, I told you, I've worked in death penalty appeals and honestly the attitude, even from the lawyers, the appellate lawyers is kind of like, this is a losing game. Our goal is basically to prolong the time that this person has on earth, but rarely do we even expect a win. It's, it's rare. Even when there's strong evidence of innocence, it's rare. So how on earth did your attorneys win this? And oh out. man, it was
1: like, it was like you done something else, sweetheart. They, 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 my case was like, they, you know, like that bulldog, he digging and he get what he wants. That's what they did. They found out. They found out how the uh, the system had treated me and they just exposed them, you know? And, and it, it was self-explanatory. You you, you withheld 35 pieces of evidence. You only need one new piece of evidence to get a new trial. They would have 35 pieces. There ain't nothing they say to me. You know, this on them now. You know, they got to explain why did they do all of that crazy stuff, you know.
0: The 35 pieces of evidence that they hid.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Because mm-hmm. yeah, I know you had two appeals that you submitted in 1988 and 1992 those were denied but then you got new appellate counsel right right okay and yeah, so those God. people are the ones who found that those 35 pieces of evidence yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: God to be angels. Mm-hmm. man it was just amazing how how the things just opened up you know yeah. i was in a dark place and then there the clouds just opened up into the sunshine you know Beautiful thing, you know, especially when they, uh, you know, after what I went through, you know. And then um, a lot of people uh, asked me, uh, why come I ain't angry? A lot of priests and nuns all over the world asked me, why come you ain't angry, Mr. James? You know why I ain't angry? Because them guards was angry when they was taking my friends out of their cells and killing them. So why would I want to act like that? Why would I want to mistreat somebody like that, you know? I've been so mistreated, I know how I feel to be mistreated. Why would I want to mistreat another human being, you know? Mm -hmm. But that's the thing, they always ask me, why come you ain't angry, you know? That's that's the reason, you know? Because I saw what anger does, you know? And it ain't good, you know?
0: Amen, amen. You're a good man. And I know that's the Lord speaking through you because, honestly, that stance is not the natural one. A lot of people right. would be bitter. They'd be very bitter. 20 years yeah. stolen from you, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah, yes, indeed. At the age of 33, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was executed. So why can't we still execute people, you know? Why are we still doing that to poor people at that? Because Jesus was just like me, he was poor. Poor, couldn't fight back the system. You know, it's the same thing, you know? The death penalty is the worst thing. That's an eyesore to America. You know, we make too many mistakes. Yes. You know, to 1977, we done executed over 1,500 men, women, and children. In Ohio, the state I'm from, we killed 56 people. You know,
0: so it really yeah. is a miracle. Like all things considered, especially that you didn't have fancy attorneys on your side. You didn't have, you know people representing millionaires (laughs) and still you were able to get an order for a new trial based on that hidden evidence and then that was in 2000 right they ordered a new trial yeah yeah the the district attorney decided not to retry the case probably because the evidence is pretty clear that it was not you based on witness testimony based on dna based on everything you were not there and so they decided not even to retry you but to just drop the charges Yes, it did. Samir, do you remember the day that you got that news? Like you were released on the... Yeah, I
1: hey, I was on cloud
0: time, <laughs> Yeah,
1: It was a blessing. I just enjoyed it. You know, people always say, how do it feel? You know, I'm going to tell you how I feel. You're going to remember this feeling. You remember uh, when you was a kid, a child, you, uh, around Christmas time? Yes. And you knew your mom and dad had bought out them beautiful toys, beautiful bikes and all that and they told you to go to bed. You couldn't go to sleep, you were too excited. That's what it felt like. If I could bottle up that feeling and sell it, I'd be a billionaire yeah. after what I had been through and I lost so much, you know. Death penalty didn't just, it didn't kill me, but it killed my parents, you know. It cost me both of my parents, you know, cause we were so close, you know, my family was close, yeah. yeah.
0: By the time you got out, were your parents gone?
1: Yeah. Uh I lost my mom and dad while I was a death, bro.
0: Did you get to uh, see them at all while you were still inside?
1: Uh yeah. They used to my mom used to come to see me every visit the day. My mom I to bring a couple of my nieces and nephews with her or something, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: When you look at your life since being released, do you feel like the Lord has returned some of what was stolen during those twenty years?
1: Well, I'm doing. I'm I'm doing the most important thing. I feel like this. I'm trying to save lives. I'm doing one. Me and you doing some of the most important work on this planet. We trying to save human beings. We trying to save lives. So ain't nothing more important than that, you know. But that's my motive. to in the depth on you know.
0: Is that? It's obviously tied to your own experience and how close you got. I know you got at one point. 90 minutes away from being executed. So, your own experience with the death penalty as an innocent man, but is it also fueled by your faith? Like, how do you think that yeah, God-,
1: God... made me. God made me a teacher, you know, teach the world love and compassion for all humanity. I've been all over the world, you know, I've been, I lived in Rome, I lived in Ireland, you know, yeah? I stayed, yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, I was supposed to went to South Africa to speak to the women on death row in South Africa, but I got scared of that Ebola virus. But if I would have did my homework like I should have did and like I always did and I should have knew better, the Ebola virus, the Ebola scare was in West Africa while I was going to South Africa. You know how big Africa is. I was supposed to go to Africa and speak to the women. They were real excited about coming too because. They still got the death penalty in uh, South Africa.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I spent one summer. Or yeah, it was just maybe two and a half months in 2017 when I was a new Christian. I'd been a Christian only for about a year at that point, and I spent a summer in Cape Town doing restorative justice work in the prisons of Cape Town. One of the most powerful experiences of my entire life. The Cape Town, like know. the conditions, also like are very different. Like it's 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 way worse. Like we think. The prisons here are horrible, and they are horrible. But the conditions in those South African prisons—I mean, like 300% overcrowded, so much yeah. violence, so much abuse. Yeah. So they, there's a big uh, need for uh, the gospel.
1: Yeah, and then when I thought about it, I was like, the women were waiting on me to come there and, and speak to them, and I spooked it spooked me, it scared me. But I was, you know, I was thinking survival, and you got to out. Yeah, I'm still still alive. Alive. yeah, yeah, I'm still, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you tell me about these Journey of Hope tours that you've mentioned? Is this what you mean when you say you've been around the world? Is it with this? No, ministry?
1: no, I, I've been, I, I did that to witness the innocence, and uh, on my own. But uh, Journey of Hope, the last three Journey of Hope tours, uh, Bill Pelkey started Journey of Hope. It was, it was a, it was a. Victims of crime, family members, and donneries, a couple of donaries. The last three tours, the tours be like 17 days, you know. And we just go around churches and speaking in different venues and stuff.
0: Pro-compassion.
1: Yeah, pro-compassion, yeah. Because, you know, people don't look at it like this. But I tell the world, like, all human beings are sacred, not just some of us. All human beings are sexy. once we learn that, we got to treat everybody like we want to be treated. And that's love. You love yourself, love everybody else around you, you know. That, it ain't hard. And we don't need no more hate, man. People are tired of hate. I'm, I'm sick and tired of people mistreating one another, you know. I watch people get so mistreated because I wasn't in jail. I was in hell, sweetheart. Millions of other people around the world was in jail, but a person on death row is actually in hell. Especially when they're killing people on the death row you're on. And they killed everybody I knew. They killed all my friends. Yeah, Yeah, that's why I gotta do this, you know. It's still, you know, it's painful when I talk about it, but People need to hear it, you know, because it's it, it reaching out to the world, you know, showing them that. You know, even what I've been through, I can still show love and compassion for other human beings. People right. expect hate, but I'm showing love, you know.
0: I love what you said about every life is sacred, because I was going to ask you what yeah. you would say to someone who says, OK, fine, you know, we need to reform the death penalty, make sure that no innocent people are being executed. But we still need the death penalty. I assume you're against the death penalty period, is that right? I'm
1: against it period, because ain't nobody. just no man had a right to say who should live or die. You're giving them too much power. Can you imagine somebody uh, sending somebody in your family to die and ain't nothing you could do about it? cause you poor. How you going to fight the system, you know? And, and you know they're killing a lot of innocent people. It's proven a lot of innocent people die every year. That's just wrong, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody have to suffer like that. Especially especially for people like us who love kids, you know? Come on, man. He got executed. Why we want to see somebody else die like that?
0: Yeah. How do you make sense of that as a Christian? Like, what do you think that Christ's death and resurrection means for the death penalty?
1: Oh, man. I don't even know how to answer that.
0: I guess in light of just your Christian faith, like I guess, what is your theology of abolition? Because I know it's tied to your faith. Right. So how would you uh, explain your, like the argument against the death penalty to a Christian? If
1: you, you calling yourself a Christian, that ain't Christian-like. One, in death penalty. You know, first of all, you know, I'm going to tell you this. A three-year-old knows it's wrong to hurt people. A three year old. So uh, kill people, that's wrong. Ain't that it ain't no right way. We shouldn't even have to explain it. It's just wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Killing people is wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember being in kindergarten and being told like two wrongs don't make a right. Like if right. someone steals something from you, you don't go steal something. And kindergarten, right. you know.
1: Right, right. An eye for an eye, make us all five.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: And the other thing I think a lot about the way that the death penalty removes the possibility of redemption of that person's life. Like you're not even giving that person say they did commit that crime. Say they come into prison, a very violent, angry person. When you kill them, you're removing the possibility that they can even be restored by Christ. So, you know, many, many people, I saw this with my own eyes in Cape town, they go into prison and they're radically transformed. Right. Right. Did you see that yeah. on death row? Did you see people? Yeah, get, yeah, because
1: the same, that, that person that went in prison ain't the same person after he'd been in prison. He might have changed for the better or the worse, but most likely he's going to be in the change for the better, you know? And, and that ain't the same person. People can change, you know? And people deserve a second chance.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Derek, thank you so much. This has been awesome. <laughs> It's been awesome. really powerful. Thank you for being so vulnerable. I know you teared up a lot. I know it's not easy to talk about this stuff. So. Yeah, it, it,
1: it's still rough. Cause you know, like I said, I lost all my friends. You know, I came home, I had to meet new people. You know, after 20 years, two decades. The day, the day I was leaving Death Row, I told the 25th they was ex. They were preparing my best friend to be ex did it that morning William Williams he was put to death that morning I was saved on the best day of my life they was asking my best friend he said right across from me. and mm. he was a little bitty guy he, he could barely look out his window because he was so short he was about 4 the best day of my life they put my best friend to death wow. that morning in Ohio you know mm. wow. I get
0: to say goodbye
1: yeah, I got to say goodbye to him, I got to send him, I, I love all my things, I love everything for them guys, yeah, one of my best friends, you know? you know, you live around them, y'all learn to care about one another, you know, we ain't nothing but human beings, well, a lot of them guys, even the ones that were guilty, there was a lot of young people that made some awful mistakes, they had to pay for it with their lives, you know.
0: Yeah, well I'm grateful for the miracle, as you've called yourself, I'm grateful Thank you. that you, by God's grace, made it yeah. out of there alive, and that you have this story, and also that you have this fire to save other people's lives. You know, you could have been selfish and just said, okay, I'm out, time to party, but instead you're, like, looking back and saying, okay, what can yeah. I do for my brothers and my sisters, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah,
1: like, last year, uh, they had a inter- They got my interview at the National Geographic. Get a copy, the Mars issue. Seven hundred and twenty million people know who Derek Davidson is. My little oh dog, Lucky is. Is <laughs> that yeah. like your little dog? Lucky, come here, baby. Come here. <laughs> Hold on. He's,
0: can you sing? Oh yeah, I see him. Oh my he's baby. So, he's so sweet. Yeah. That's a very appropriate name, huh? Lucky. Yeah,
1: Lucky.
0: <laughs> there are angels on earth. I have a little cat and he is he's my angel too
1: yeah all right thank you sweetheart
0: thank you so much i'll let you know so i'm going to be releasing this episode on my podcast in full but then pieces of this will be a part of a larger episode on another podcast called maybe god we're working on a larger episode compiling many different stories from different perspectives discussing the christian ethics of the death penalty kind of answering that question what should a christian believe about the death penalty and so your story will be featured as a part of that and i'll let you know when it is released
1: all right thank you and uh keep in touch and let me we could do some more work together yeah all right i love your spirit
0: we are god bless you thank you you.
1: enjoy your day
0: you too all right bye bye (laughs)